HVAC 360 is brought to you today by The Contractor's Candy Store What's that you say? You've never been? Well, that stops now Get your sweet tooth on at The Contractor's Candy Store Where we have everything from candy hammers to gummy nails Do your jokes need to be freshened up a little bit? No problem, grab a handful of Nailgun Joe's bubblegum You'll have the Chuckle Factory up and running again in no time and for those bad boys on your job site, we still carry a variety of candy cigarettes and big-time chew in the back of the store next to our tool magazines. Come on down to the Contractor's Candy Store today. Just make sure you bring enough candy back for the whole job site. What's up? Welcome back. Matt Nelson here, your host for HVAC 360, helping you be the best and the brightest in the field of HVAC. Each week, I'm either sharing information and lessons learned from the field or talking with industry experts. Um, but I want to make sure that you don't stop there uh, and we don't stop there. I want to encourage you to double down on your weekly dose of HVAC knowledge by hopping on over to HVAC360.com and joining my growing community of people just like you. All right. So what do we have for this week? Well, um, I've done a couple of these article summaries, and people seem to like them. I've gotten some feedback on them. Um, if that's the case, you know, let me know. Uh, you know, I'm still looking for feedback. Anytime you want to give me feedback, just write me at matt at hvac360.com and let me know what's up. So this article is from HPAC Magazine, or HPAC Engineering Magazine. And it caught my eye. It's, it's right-sizing your boiler plant will optimize system operation. Now, if you're like, hey, you know what? I want to actually see the article. Um, don't forget, if you're in the industry, if you're, if you're designing systems, if you're specifying systems, there's a lot of articles out there that you can get, a lot of different trade magazines that you can get for absolutely free, delivered to your door, um, whether you want a physical copy or you want actually want an electronic copy. You can get either one of those. And they're absolutely free. So uh, there are a number of them out there. So I'll let you uh, look at that and um, let you, well, I'll let you. Well, I'll let you decide which ones you want. Um, and I will try to put some in the show notes, uh, especially for the HBAC Engineering Magazine, linking to this specific article. So after reading the article, uh, it has a lot of solid information, and I'm going to try to go through the information it has, and then I'm going to add some of my twist to it a little bit extra. Um, but, you know, I, I guess, you know, I, it leaves me, there was a pretty big title, and I don't know necessarily if the article lives up to it. I'll let you be the one to actually decide. So it starts off with some general things. It, sa it says, you know, make sure that your physical plant layout um, yeah, is done with an eye towards maintenance. You want to focus on things like uh, during your design and, you know, and engineering, you want to be able to focus on the piping and the piping layout, the venting, the controls, and the support equipment. And you want to make sure that you, critically, uh, you correctly size the boiler plant to prevent excessive cycling. Okay, so those are some of the key things that you want to maintain all through there. Now, it gets into the design and starts talking about the number of units. Um, you know, if you were in a heating-dominant climate, um, this is going to be kind of second nature to you. If you're not in a heating-dominant client, uh, client, climate, 
uh, this will not be second nature to you. If uh, you get a boiler and it breaks down and there is no possibility of freezing, uh, then you're not too concerned about this uh, unless your client specifically requests it. However, up here in the Great White North, um, things tend to get below freezing quite a bit and you will have some freezing if your boiler plant goes down. So, a good goal, they say, is to have three to five heat exchangers. Now, they don't really specify boilers per se, um, but they could, you could use that interchangeably. They did talk a little bit about modular boilers, and these are uh, boilers that actually have multiple heat exchangers in the same boiler with the same casing. Um, I'm not too familiar with those. Uh, I haven't seen a lot of them. Most of the most of the boilers that I see are just you know standalone standalone boilers. If they want to be modular, they just kind of slap you know some of the same size modules or same size boilers up next to each other. So that's kind of modular in my mind. But they were looking at something specific that it had multiple heat exchangers within the same kind of cabinet. Um, and again, you know, a lot of that has to depend on what the owner wants and uh, what you have as far as space goes. Now, the basic uh, rule of thumb up north is you're going to have at least two boilers, okay? So they don't have to be 100%, you know, 100% redundant. They could each carry 50% of the load. Uh, but if you wanted to make sure that you had a spare capacity, some extra redundancy in your system, you would want an N plus one type of system, generally speaking. So what that would mean is that if your boiler plant had two boilers, um, each of those carrying 50% of the load, you'd have a third boiler uh, that would carry 50% of the load just in case one of those two primary boilers went down. So you could still carry 100% of the load. A lot of times, uh, you know, if, if uh, you know, funds and budgets don't necessarily um, uh, incorporate that, um, they're only going to have, uh, you know, just the, the 50-50. They can survive off 50%. Um, but I'll, I'll get into that a little bit more when I, when I talk about my, um, my opinions. All right. So uh, ultimately, you know, having that N plus one, you can, you know, this is based on the owner's requirements. You can have more, um, again, if the owner requires it or it just makes sense. But remember that any more that you add, um, that has a cost associated with maintaining that boiler. Uh, you want to be able to rotate through these boilers and you don't want to have any one of them just sitting idle. Uh, that's not what you want to be able to use what you have and rotate through those. So I guess once the boilers are selected, now you're going to focus on the piping, piping layouts, venting, uh, both when we're talking about here, we're talking about you know, outside air supply and we're talking about the, uh, the exhaust venting and then controls. Now you want to make sure that you take into those, um, you, you account for those very specifically because, um, of course, the, the source of schedule overruns and costly change orders, um, that is exactly, you know, those are the source of those costly overruns and change orders. Um, you know, you talk about, you know, piping, venting, especially, and control. So something that you've, for, you know, you've forgotten about or you might have missed or you might not have designed all the way through and you kind of just took the, you know, easy way out and just one-lined it, uh, those are the kind of things that are going to come back and bite you. Next, you're going to go into the installation and footprint. Um, what they stressed is they want to make sure that you don't gain floor space and sacrifice serviceability. Um, I can't echo this enough. Um, just because it looks good on drawings doesn't mean that it's going to work out in reality, especially when you're actually you know, putting um, you know, pieces of equipment on the job site. So you want to make sure that you have enough service space around it. 
Um, if you're going to space them around, uh, space them out, uh, give it about like 16 inches to 24 inches. Um, this is kind of a, a general rule of thumb minimum. If there are um, zero clearance requirements on these boilers, and a lot of them, you know, when you're talking about condensing boilers, a lot of them have zero clearance requirements. Make sure a good rule of thumb is just to have uh, one side uh, of those boilers be, you know, butted up against the next boiler. So if you have three, you're going to have two to two together, and then you're going to have a, a third one kind of spaced out. If you have four, then you're going to have two and two um, with a space in between. Maybe give it like twenty, you know, twenty four inches. Again, you want to be able to uh, make sure that the, the service people can get through and, and get by and take off the panels uh, for those. Also, be aware of overhead clearances. Um, it may seem kind of bizarre, but a lot of the you know condensing boilers do have an overhead clearance. Uh, you're going to have to remove something, whether that be maybe like a motor or a heat exchanger, and those end up coming out vertically a lot of times. Uh, so you want to make sure that you have enough overhead clearance so you make sure that uh, nothing gets run there. Uh, put a note on your drawing or on your detail. Make sure that that is clear. And obviously be aware of delivery. Um, obviously with the installation, that can really jackpot a job. If you get something delivered late, uh, that might be that might mean that you can't uh, put in a wall or put in a uh, a uh, a roof. I mean, I've I've seen that done where something has to be lowered into a mechanical room before they can kind of finish the roof because that's the only way that it it can get in and out there. So that's one of the things that you want to be uh, concerned about. Now it it goes into some of the things that you can do to kind of you know save money, and this is kind of they they filed it under retrofitting to condensing. So obviously, I think that they're thinking about there are large boilers and you're kind of reducing or you're transforming them into condensing boilers. Um, but here are kind of four of the points that they mentioned. Obviously, you want to look at temperature resets. Um, you know, you think outdoor reset, seasonal reset, night and weekend holiday uh, setback schedules. Those are some of the things that are going to be able to save you money uh, in the long run. Uh, you want to be able to tune the supply water temperature. They say, you know, lower temperatures. Uh, to save money. So you want to make sure that you you tune the supply water temperature to your building and make sure that you're not sacrificing comfort uh, when you do that. Uh, Take a look to slow the water flow down. Obviously, when you slow the water flow down, um, if that's something that you can do, you can save a lot of pump energy, and that's uh, very productive um, and and cost-effective. And if you have a, they recommend if you consider uh, consider changing your primary, secondary, uh, you know, pumping systems to a primary only, um, again to reduce operating costs. Next, they specify a turndown. They want to make sure that you know this is this goes along with the preventing excessive cycling. Uh, you want to make sure that your equipment has a good turndown ratio. Um, condenser condensing boilers are more efficient, they state, at a lower firing rate. Um, and then they quickly turn around and uh, talk about that cycling with uh, the boiler ma- mass myth. Um, so if you've dealt with boilers at all, um, you realize that um, you know the, the myth here is that you can prevent cycling uh, using a high mass boiler. Well, I mean, not everybody's installing a Scotch Marine or cast iron, which are two typical uh, high mass boiler types. Most people are dealing with, you know, stainless steel, copper, aluminum heat exchangers in their condensing boilers, and these are really considered low mass. So you want to make sure that um, you prevent 
you know, you can you can prevent cycling just by right sizing on these low mass boilers. But one thing you want to make sure of is that you know because they heat up and cool down so quickly. Um, is that you want to make sure that you don't need a buffer tank. Or if you do, then then put one in. Uh, a lot of times that has to do with uh, having a low system water volume. Uh, and also, um, you know, it'll, it'll be to increase cycle times. So if you have a mechanical room where all the loads are very close, say you're, you just have a boiler and it feeds your main air handler and uh, a couple other things. And sometimes I've seen that and it just, you know, it doesn't take too long where the, you know, the boiler just heats up in a second and cycles off. Um, so you want to make, make sure that, you know, a boiler just wants to really run. Um, condensing boilers, they say, are you running at a low firing rate. Um, so when sequencing the boilers, obviously, you know, you're going to have a multiple boiler plant. You want to make sure that you keep the runtime and the cycle uh, number of cycles the same for each boiler. So you want to be able to rotate those or have a method to rotate those from boiler to boiler to all keep the wear and tear on them the same. Um, condensing systems obviously like to maintain, you know, uh, as many units as possible using a low firing rate um, without causing any excessive cycling. So that's one of the things that, that definitely helps out. So uh, the summary of the article in general, you know, uh, the design, you know, you know, take into account all these different aspects of what you need to look at when designing a boiler plant. Um, you know, you want to make sure your heating plant, your key design, um, you know, that a heating plant is to minimize or to maximize heating efficiency while reducing maintenance and installation costs. So those, those are some of the things that, that, that the, uh, that the article said. Now, uh, as far as my input on it, take getting back to the design. Obviously, you have those those two different boilers. Um, you know, you have at least two. A lot of times, that's all you're going to see. But if you add that third, then you can then you can start to have um, some more redundancy. Um, you know, it was interesting because I was just at a um, uh, a meeting where they're talking about boiler plants, boiler plant efficiencies. We might go into this at a future podcast, but I just wanted to point this out. I mean, if you look at the degree days that you're looking at for a boiler, I mean, if you had half of the capacity, um, it's going to be about 75, 75% of the time. Um, that's going to cover it. So you really, if, if you have two and one goes down, you're going to be covered for most of the time. But you know, I mean, that's not where equipment breaks. Of course, you know, um, it's going to be the worst case scenario. So it's going to be in the middle of the night. Uh, it's going to be on a weekend or a holiday, and it's going to be just cold, cold, cold out there. And you know, it's when you make the call to the service company, they may be available twenty four hours a day, seven days a week, but they may have you know everything breaking. So you may not necessarily get your uh, boiler repaired in a timely manner um, when you'd like it. Now, another thing, and this is kind of general back to basics, kind of best practices, um, boiler drains. Um, if you have boilers, especially condensing boilers, you're going to have some sort of condensate. You're going to have some sort of blowdown. And you want to make sure that that is all kind of organized towards the rear. Um, you don't want to have those uh, pipes running up in front to a uh, exit out a, uh, um, a pipe to a drain in front of the boilers. If you can at all possible... Put the drain behind the boilers. Um, that way, everything just kind of goes behind. So when you organize uh, your, so you actually when you're walking in between the boilers, you're not stepping on pipes. Um, a lot of times, and I've I've done this, you know, count, countless times, where it's just there, there, you know, pipes uh, running, 
to a drain in front of the boiler. And, you know, you, the only thing you can do is, is, is step on them to actually, you know, get and gain access to looking inside those different boilers. But that's the, you know, that's not, you know, best practices is just to, you know, have it somewhere behind the boilers because that's where all the, that's where all the messy stuff is going on, the venting, the pipes, uh, the pumps. Um, and, you know, make sure that everything's accessible. A lot of times, you know, those circulating pumps, if you have a, uh, a condensing boiler, you're going to have some sort of boiler pump associated with that. And you want to make sure that that is accessible um, when, you're, when you're walking around it. So that's, that's kind of important. Um, another thing is to make sure that, you know, yeah, they talked about venting and how important venting is. Venting usually goes in early, but there has been a lot of cases where, um, y- you know, venting... You know, especially for condensing boilers, if you're gonna if you're gonna take it out separately, it's it's less of an issue. But if you're gonna combine it into a single common vent, um, you may want to look at some sort of engineered venting solution. Now, anybody who sells venting products uh, are going to be more than willing to help you size correctly size the um, the flues. So you know, go find some help if that's the case, if that's the direction that you're going. Um, you know, I had a situation in one of the uh, one of the projects I was working on that we had a vo- uh, a um, the boiler vents, and they were going up through the roof. Now the boiler vents were bigger than um, the joist, the bar joist spacing that was supporting the roof. So they ended up having to cut the bar joists out and do some repair around that. But you know, the problem. Problem is, is you need to be able to identify that way ahead of time. You need to be able to talk to the structural engineer to account for that so you can have an opening that goes around the bar joist so you don't have the roof falling down. Um, this was one of the things that wasn't caught early, that they actually had to go back and forth with a structural engineer and, you know, try to try to figure it out. And it wasn't, you know, the, some of the solutions were kind of a little bit um, less than ideal than, you know, if you had address this issue ahead of time, it would have been no problem. They would have figured it out. They would have framed it right. Uh, they would have gotten the right steel. But that just wasn't the case in, in on, on this project. So they made do with what they had, and they had, you know, something that would, you know, support the roof. So everything ended up working out fine. But it was, it, again, it was less than ideal. And it took a lot of time to do that. Um, gas shutoff valves. I know that this is kind of one of those things that you're not – necessarily thinking of at the time when you're putting in a boiler. Uh, but there was, a, you know, actually on the same project, um, the gas piping was up high and it came down. Now, condensing boilers, they have a low footprint, but they're rather tall. And this one had the gas valve above the condensing or the, the condensing boiler, um, which, which made it problematic because you actually needed a ladder to be able to shut that you know, gas off to the unit. Now, that, that's a problem, especially in an emergency. It's like, okay, where's the ladder? You know, otherwise, you can't get up and shut off that gas valve, and that becomes an issue. Um, along, uh, along with that uh, is uh, where you're going to have the emergency shutoff for the boilers. Um, you know, some of those, and that is, you know, a code issue that you can kind of dive into a little bit more, but does it have to be located outside of the, of the room? Can it be located right inside the room? Is that convenient? Um, is that okay? Do you, do you feel comfortable as a design engineer locating in that position? So you need to be able to kind of clarify that for yourself. 
Another thing is obviously, you know, when we talk about, um, you know, installing these units, you want to be able to think about, you know, can, if this had to be replaced 15, 20 years down the road, if it had to be replaced, could you actually remove it from the room and replace it in that same room? Um, a lot of cases, you know, that's, that's, you have equipment in the way. I've had situations where you have pumps in the way that you can't really, you could actually physically walk around, but if you had to move the unit out and away from where it is, it would just be impossible. So again, this kind of goes back to the, you know, it looks good on a drawing, but it doesn't really work in real life. Condensing waters, uh, be, be aware of the, you know, if, you, if you're not, if you're using condensing boilers and you don't have less than 140 degree return water temperature on your, um, on your heating water return, you know, you need to think again. Um, again, that you're, you're paying a premium for condensing boilers, but you're not getting the benefit of it. You could get a different boiler that would be uh, cheaper and it would last longer, Um at above 140 degrees, uh, and there's different things that you can do with the piping and things like that that um, you know might be able to alleviate that. But just just keep that in mind. Um, condensing boilers like return water temperature of that 140 degree uh, water. Uh, again, if you're looking for the efficiency when you see condensing boilers and you're like, oh, they're so efficient, that's below 140 degrees. So if you're not below 140 degrees, it's just like every other boiler. Buffer tank, yes. Make sure, you know, that, again, that, that's a, a key factor. Make sure that you have a buffer tank if you need one. Um, it's certainly, uh, you know, it's one of those things that it's not small to have a buffer tank. But, you know, even on the chilled water side, there's a lot of chilled water applications where it might be a chiller located outside and an air handler on the inside, and that's, that's all it is. Uh, you might need that extra water mass to make sure that you're not short cycling the equipment too much so i can't stress that enough um you know some people might you know forget about you know buffer tanks it can be uh, it can be problematic um turn down i just want to say make sure that the turn down you know they they stress the turn down here and in this um uh, in the session the educational session that i was in um this lunch and learn it you know they they stated that really the turn down you have you have a flame failure point with boilers, and the turndown really can't go past that flame failure point. So there is a minimum turndown that you can have with most of the boilers. And sometimes if you get the crazy turndown, it, it might end up, you know, at, you know, a certain level. And then you have turndown in between the high end and the low end, but you can't go past a certain level. And again, that might be because, you know, you get excessive flame failure issues. So that's really the lowest that you can go. Um, they did mention jacket losses. I didn't. I didn't mention in the in the countdown. But you know, it's it's one of those things that if you have a condensing boiler, um, and you know, I just kind of you know preach this. If you have something that you have to connect combustion air to, the the outside air, um, you want to make sure that you can connect it. Just just connect it. Um, you don't want to have equipment that you're not connecting the outside air. Typically, you end up he heating it in the um, you know, in the mechanical room, and it just causes, you know, freeze concerns when you're bringing in all the outside air for that particular unit. Because um, you're not really con 
you know, controlling it exactly. You're just basing it on square footage. You know, whatever the code dictates, um, the size of the outside air opening needs to be. So a lot of times you're probably bringing in more air than you actually need. And you're just cooling off the space. Um, and since, you know, those old school boilers where you could go in there and it'd be 80 degrees and it wouldn't matter how much outside air you dumped in there in the, the middle of winter because it would keep, you know, just radiate all this heat. Um, the condensing boilers are not like that. Everything will cool down. Um, and it just reminds me of one of the schools that, that I did um, some commissioning on. I, w- I went back after I commissioned the boiler plant. I was, I was doing something else. And the, uh, um, you know, the maintenance guy was so proud of himself. He's like, you know what I got the guys at the shop to do? He's like, takes me over to the outside air louver. He's like, look at that. And here he had blocked off like the majority of the outside air louver um, for, the, for, the, uh, for the boiler plant. And I just, I just looked at him. I go, you know, man, I'm like, that's not okay. I'm like, that outside air was there for a reason. But, you know, I mean, to him, it was all this cold air coming in and there's all this piping with all this water in it. And it was just, it was just a matter of time before something, something went wrong and something froze and it would have been a big mess. So again, I implore you, if something has an outside air connection to it, duct it. Just make sure that you connect those two. Um, those two things. All right. That's all I have. Um, I hope this was helpful for you. Um, you know, if you learn something, consider passing this along. I know that a lot of, I talk to a lot of people, a lot of people are, are sharing episodes and that's, that's really good. That's, that's exactly what we, what we need. We need to share information. We need to, you know, give any sort of feedback. Again, you can give me feedback at Matt at HVAC360.com. And, um, yeah. So if anybody needs this knowledge, consider passing this along. Um, if you're not a subscriber, again, my three asks are go ahead and sign up for that HVAC360.com um, newsletter. Uh, if you want, I uh, would greatly appreciate anybody giving me a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. And go over to YouTube and just subscribe there. Um, the more people that I get to subscribe, the more views that I get. Um, even if you kind of, you know, just even if you go there and just click play and just walk away, you know, I just need, you know, I like, I don't know, it's like 4,000 hours of people. I need a thousand subscribers and 4,000 hours. And I'll, I get into this next level of, um, you know, being able to do stuff in YouTube. So, all right. Well, that's a wrap for this episode of HVAC 360. I'm Matt Nelson, helping you be the best and the brightest in the field of HVAC. And as always, know what you build and share what you know. <laughs>